Good morning, Misfits. You are tuning in to episode eight of the Misfit Project. I am your host, Drew Crandall. As always, across the table, Ted. What's up, guys? How are you doing this morning? Doing great. Sun's out. Had a couple of warm days here in, in the middle of the winter, but it's good. I was hoping some of the snow would melt, but it didn't really melt. It got soft. It got soft, but it keeps, I have a metal roof and it keeps flying off my roof and just covering the snow that I get rid of. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's not working out that well for me, but I got to go outside, breathe the fresh air, sort of fresh air with the snowblower exhaust, um, a little sunshine. So it's not too bad. Uh, and just for anybody that's not, you know, in the same kind of area as us the other day, it was 23 degrees and I walked outside and the sun was shining and I was like, man, I'm going to have to take my flannel off. It's pretty toasty in this 23 degree yeah. sun. Yeah. That sun <laughs> hits you even if it's a little bit chilly out and it's, it warms right up. Yeah. So we have the Q and A episode and essentially what, what I was hoping for is putting out a lot of information weeks two through seven and just wanted to make sure that we could circle back and answer any questions that people had. Uh, got a lot of good questions, so I'm pretty excited to dig into some of this, you know, more specific information. The very first thing I want to do is ask you a question. Oh, okay. So when you have when you have like a food craving, but you want to stay healthy, do you have like a go-to meal that you can cook that's like, oh, this sort of feels like it's not healthy, but it actually is pretty healthy, fairly nutrient dense. Is there somewhere you can go and like prepare something like so that you don't get kicked out of what you're doing, but you also sort of like get rid of? I don't know if I have a go-to meal um, necessarily, but one thing that I'll cook pretty frequently is a nice big frittata. Yep. Three or four eggs with some like spinach and chicken sausage, and then throw a little bit of Parmesan on top, yep. throw it in the oven. It kind of turns into like a pizza if you crisp it up enough. Yep. And it's super filling. So it, any craving that you have before, you're not going to Come out still the other the side. Yeah. yeah. And there are actually... It's easy, it's easy to make. Really, uh, really small amounts of opiates in cheese. Perfect. And um, a lot of the meals that I make in that, like, okay, I'm not going to go off the wagon here. But I need to make something that's like at least going to satisfy my mind before I start eating. Right. A right. lot of those have cheese in them. Cheese painkillers. Yeah. <laughs> cheese painkillers. Yeah. So um, for anybody out there that's wondering why certain kinds of cheese are so addictive, it's because they actually have um, something that reacts in the brain in a those, very similar way. Those damn Parmesan crisps from Whole Foods. Yep. I could eat 15 boxes of those and still want more. They have flavors of those that aren't good and you still eat the whole box <laughs> because you eat one of them and then they talk to you after that. Oh yeah. And you, you can completely understand how all of that works when you eat those things. Yeah. There's been a lot of days pre-flights where we'll stop at Whole Foods for like flight snacks and by the time we get to the airport, they're gone. Yeah. I mean, typically Sherb is the only one who eats all of his airplane snacks on the ride from Whole Foods to the airport. But if someone breaks into the parm crisps, it's oh, over. They're gone. They're, they're completely gone. So enough babbling. Let's get to it. What do we got? So we're going to start with a question from tried and true coach on Instagram. Um, 
He says, thinking about putting a blue light in above my shower because I'm up way before the sun rises. What do you guys suggest? So if there is a true blue light out there in a bulb form, um, I do not know about it. You can buy a blue, the color blue light bulb that emits zero blue light in terms of the spectrum or wavelength that we're looking for. And it's actually kind of unfair because one of them is called like sunlight. The actual, the actual brand is called sunlight. And then you click on it and you scroll down and you look at the wavelength and it emits zero blue light. Right. It's just a color temperature. That it's, it's just a color to. temperature. And it says like awesome for parties and whatever. It's just for people that want to put in a light. It's that, just for people that want to party. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so if you want to party, go ahead and get yourself one of those blue, the color blue lights. Um, but if you're looking to actually get something that emits the spectrum that we want, that's uh, our bodies are familiar with and you know gives us that energy that we're looking for, you're going to have to go with one of the actual blue light spectrum lights. Um, and all of the ones that I've seen and all of the ones that I've seen used in the research uh, are that like white box. Um, it's like a small of, LED panel. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but there are so many places where we can put this into our routine. Um, and I'm hoping that after listening to this podcast, you're taking a few minutes um, to get into that morning routine. And if it's not possible, if you work so early that you'd be messing up your sleep, uh, you got to find a way to hack it a little bit. I mean, you could probably find a way to rig it up in your car. They make those um, eight volt plugins that then turn into an actual plug. Um, you could try that. Put it in your kitchen if you make coffee in the morning. Exactly. Put it in your kitchen. Put it, you know, on your counter in your bathroom. Put it near the counter where you're working, your desk, whatever. Find a place to put that. Go with that. And that's going to be an excellent way to to get your day going. But unfortunately, I am not aware of a light bulb that you can screw in. Um, and, you know, we were joking before the podcast started to be extremely unsafe to combine your shower and electronics. <laughs> so uh, stay away from that. I mean, I suppose if you could figure out a way to rig up like a little shelf to put the blue yeah. light on that like shines into your But then your you shower. wonder about coverage, right? Yeah. Because could you put it in the exact right spot? Um, you're better off finding a place within the first, you know, especially if, if you're in a unique circumstance within the first hour of your day, um, just making sure that you get into that. So, um, unfortunately I do not believe that those exist yet. And if they do, please let me know and we will update you guys on that information. <laughs> All right, moving on. Next question is from Mahmoud T. El Zayet. Uh, how do I know that I'm eating enough with my training? This is actually, holy smokes. So, so the, uh, the snow just came flying off the roof and now the dogs are going buck wild. <laughs> this is a great question though. So it's a great question because it's something that you should know. Um, it's also a great question because it forces me to, um, kind of think through it. It's not one of those like black and white answers. So the number one thing that I would say in terms of making sure that your activity levels and your diet lineup is just monitoring your weight. I mean, that would be the easiest way to say if I'm doing this activity and my goals are not to gain weight, 
lose weight, whatever it is, I want to maintain my weight. If you train a ton and you don't eat enough, you're going to lose weight. So that would be the first place to start. And that's sort of obvious. Um, energy levels would also be a really big part of it. So if you're doing that, um, you know, we talked about in the fuel episode, that sort of in between energy system where you're not going all out for a very short period of time and you're not going long and slow, you're going pretty damn hard for, you know, anywhere from two, you know, two minutes on, um, we're going to, we're going to be, that's going to be a glycolytic area where we're going to be using glucose. So if you're in that pathway in the middle and you're really finding that, you know, maybe your breathing is okay, but that your actual power output isn't very good. There's a pretty good chance that your carbohydrates are a little bit low. Um, and then the excess on the other side could be transferred back to the weight fairly easily. Um, you know, if you're, you know, into sort of the ketogenic thing, you would know you're taking in too many carbs at night if you couldn't get back into ketosis in the morning, or if you're kind of gaining a little bit more weight or a little bit puffier than you're used to, there's a chance that that carb refeeds a little bit high. Um, and then another thing is we have to look at our stress levels and the easiest way to measure this when we're actually talking about training would be HRV. So if you're doing everything right, if you are going based on your circadian rhythm, you're getting solid sleep, you're doing all of these things that we're asking you to do, you're recovering, you have that sort of one-to-one recovery to workout ratio, but you're still, you know, stressed out, you're not recovering, um, something's wrong, that could be a diet issue as well. That could be one of those things where it's like, okay, I need to up my calories a little bit. Um, so there's no exact answer to this. It's one of those things that's going to have to be intuitive. You're going to have to play around with it a little bit. Um, you know, we can break it down into a very specific thing. Like I'm not sure exactly what type of training you're doing. Um, but if you do a lot of training, your, your protein should be somewhere in that one gram per pound range. Um, if you're not training quite as much, but you're still pretty active, we can knock that down to, uh, three quarters, of a gram per pound, get into that area, making sure that we're actually, you know, getting those amino amino acids from the protein, um, back in for recovery. So, um, we can go based on that. And then, you know, a lot of it from there would be highly personalized, whether we are trying to be a fat adapted athlete, whether we are relying on carbs a little bit more. So, um, a lot of it's going to be about, you know, just that thought of what gets measured, gets managed. So if you're worried about whether you're eating enough, the very first thing that you can do to start is make sure that you actually know what you're eating every single day, and then you can make your adjustments from there. All right. Our next question comes from Wampus Cat. I like that name. (laughs) Wampus Cat. Uh, Wampus Cat asks, athletes that are diabetic, big, strong, and fast, how should they eat for performance? So I probably should have gotten in contact with Wampus Cat to ask whether we're talking about type 1 diabetes versus type 2. I'm making the assumption, and I could be wrong, that big, strong, and fast typically would mean not being a type 2 diabetic. Um, That's not always the case, though. Uh, Patrick Peterson of the Arizona Cardinals found out like two or three years ago that he was type 2. So Hmm. uh, top five cover corner punt returner in the NFL. And turns out you can 
still not just like drink soda, juice, eat candy, and that be your entire diet. Um, that's not, <laughs> so he was one of those guys, like, like the skinny fat, like he's dying on the inside kind of a thing. Right. And he didn't really know it, but he started having some, some performance issues. He started, you know, going from the best in the world to almost the best in the world. So <laughs> those are his kind of problems. Um, so it's not necessarily the case. This could be a, a type two situation. Um, and essentially anybody that's listening, uh, type one is typically going to be managed through an insulin pump. The pancreas is not going to do that job for us in any sense. Um, so the insulin pump's going to be there, um, essentially during the day, letting out a, what they would call the basal rate, like the, the minimum that you would need to get through the day. And then you would input, um, you would input how much insulin that you would be putting in, you know, around meals and, you know, training and things of that nature. So I would say either way, regardless of whether it's type one versus type two, I would recommend that a diabetic athlete become fat adapted. If we become fat adapted, we don't have to deal with these swings in blood sugar anywhere near as much. And holding body fat is actually more of a problem when we're dealing with something like diabetes. So if we become fat adapted, we're going to be able to pull fat from adipose tissue and use that as energy. Now it says athlete. So my assumption with athlete is there's going to be some of that glycolytic work that we're talking about. A lot of people that listen to this podcast are CrossFitters. A lot of CrossFitters get on that assault bike and let her rip. Hammer for a minute to five minutes at a time, that is highly, highly, highly glycolytic. 400 meter runs, highly glycolytic. So you, I would be very, very meticulous about that carb window. So when you train in that pathway and you can really feel the energy being sapped from your muscles, it's not like I'm just not strong enough to lift this weight. It's like I went through the proper rest and it's just gone. Normally we would do something with weightlifting like like three sets of 10 on a movement. And let's say that we got crazy and we decided to do 10 by 10. There would probably be a point in there where your body would be like, okay, you know what? I don't care how much you're resting. I don't care if we get the ATP back in the three to five minutes. Like, we've gone there. So that's sort of that feeling of I've gone into that glycolytic pathway and I've burned through what I have. Um, so we would have a refeed and we'll get into specifics on another question on the refeed, but we would want to be measuring, making sure blood sugar got back down within a few hours after that. And then we would want to make sure that we were actually measuring, um, you know, ketone bodies and, and, staying in that fat adapted window. That's what we would want. We would want to be using carbs specifically as a supplement. And I don't mean in supplement form, you can still eat real food. Um, but it'd be really important to manage that. And you'd want to play around with that as well. And if it's type one, you have to decide how much insulin is being added to the carbohydrates to push them into muscle tissue. So the person that's dealing with this is probably knows a lot more about how they feel throughout all this. And that's going to be one of those things where you're going to start to personalize things. But hopefully, um, just that, that concept of becoming fat adapted. And if you do glycolytic work, being very meticulous about measuring your blood sugar, 
um, and making sure that you're not spiking it so much that it's not going into muscle tissue and sort of circulating a little bit more, that's when that's going to be a big issue. All right. Next question is from Papan Wilson. She says, what are your views of the Renaissance periodization diet as well as using the whoop watch versus the Fitbit? I feel like this is a highly commercialized (laughs) question. Um, One thing that you're going to notice here, uh, hopefully over the course of the next few years, is that I am not going to get into any form of of bashing uh, another way of doing something. I'm not going to get into heated arguments and debates with someone that does not agree with with what I'm saying. I am in the business of helping people. um, And I think that RP is also in the business of helping people. I really like the fact that they don't give you macro numbers that are for every scenario. They give you macro numbers that are based on how much you're training. They give you um, macronutrient timing, which if you've listened to this podcast before, I'm a huge fan of. But I do not see eye to eye with the foods that are being put on the list. And I don't know if these have been updated. I really don't know. Yep. Someone has shared their template with me before and I'm like, oh, this is really cool that they ask you to, to do this and do this. And then I saw the food and I just, it just doesn't make that much sense to me. Um, you guys know that I don't believe that micronutrients and macronutrients are mutually exclusive. They can be friends. You can choose what you eat, what you put in your body at all times. Um, so that's, in, in my opinion, sort of the easiest way for me to to talk about that. Now, so much of this, again, is highly personalized. Like, what are you trying to do? Are you worried about overall health? Are you worried about you know, your aesthetic? Are you worried about training? Um, that's when your diet's going to change. And I know that they offer different templates. Um, I don't want to speak too much to it because I haven't seen very many of these templates, but that's sort of what I have for an answer there. Um, I'm a big fan of food quality. I don't think anyone would ever be hurt by eating healthy food. So that's sort of the answer for that. Um, whoop watch versus the Fitbit. The whoop is, um, the whoop is really cool. The whoop is one of those things where, um, if you really like nerding out on your HRV, on your sleep, on, you know, seeing what your training's doing to you, all of those things, I think it's great for you. I would say that the whoop's probably a little bit more for someone chasing performance. I think that's fair to say. The Fitbit um, is great in terms of what gets measured gets managed. If you're the type of person that's trying to achieve the 10,000 steps, the 15,000 steps, I want to walk X miles, whatever it is, having something like that is awesome. Um, It's probably not a huge surprise to people that I'm not like all in on wearable technology all of the time because that keeps us hyper connected and can make it challenging to, you know, head out into the woods, go for a walk, do these types of things without being pulled back in. Um, So I am a pretty big fan of, you know, if you do have a Fitbit or if you do have an Apple watch or any of those ones where it's connected to your smartphone, maybe leave it at home or I don't know. Ted, can you 
like turn it off or can you silence? Is there any way to really feel? I mean, there's, there's do not disturb features and things like that. But ultimately the Apple watch is a thing in that it's pretty heavy. Yeah. And you know that it's on your wrist. Right. So it's hard to not look at it. Exactly. So if you're doing the, you know, no sell Sunday or something like that, where you're trying to disconnect for a day, leaving it on the charger for the day is probably your best bet. Yeah. And everyone knows that feeling of, you know, your phone buzzes in your watch, but it, or your phone buzzes in your pocket, but it didn't like, Oh yeah. yeah. Your phone's not even in your pocket and you feel it buzz in your pocket. Exactly. So knowing that we can, you know, move on from these things. And and I know that there are some people that are like, how am I going to know how many steps I took in the woods? Um, if you're out in the woods and you're doing that, you've already sort of won that battle, I think for that day. Um, but let's say that we, where I really do like it is we go into that office setting and we think we're being a little bit more active, but we don't know Yeah, that sort of place. I think it's great for now. That is one thing that's a little bit better about the whoop is you can go off into the woods, leave your cell phone and then resync it when you come back. Um, and it doesn't have a display. Exactly. I mean, it does have a little LED battery light. Right. So it, it can be a little bit detrimental to sleep. However, I actually use that light as a flashlight. To guide me when I'm taking a pee. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like to pretend that I'm a superhero. Which means, and I shouldn't, which means I shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. But I have a built in flashlight on my wrist when exactly. I double tap it. Yeah. Like Spider Man like or Iron something. Man. So, um,. Whoop versus Fitbit, like if we're trying to compare the two, like which one should you buy? Um, I would say if you're going for performance-based, Whoop would be a really cool thing to check out. If you are trying to keep it simple, Fitbit would be good. But the more Fitbit changes and grows, the more it's going to turn into like an Apple Watch and have features that are similar to the Whoop. So... Um, yeah, I think it also we, kind of depends on budget too. The absolutely, whoop, the whoop's a lot more expensive. Yes, than is the Fitbit. Yeah. So if I think there are expensive Fitbits though. I think they have like a full-on watch now, don't they? I think they I, have. I think they have multiple full-on watches. Not in the market for Fitbit because I have a Whoop and an Apple Watch. Right. So, so um, you know, I I probably didn't answer the question, <laughs> but I gave a little bit of insight into what I think about certain products. Um, I mean, there's an overall theme with the question really, and it's tracking. Yeah. So whether it's tracking your eating or tracking your activity, both things are going to be good Absolutely. to know what you're eating, when you're eating it and to know how active you are. It's a good thing. So if you find something that works for you to track these things, use it. Absolutely. I mean, whether it's my fitness pal to track your eating, which is a free app. I mean, it doesn't tell you what to eat, but it at least lets you track it. I love the the things that it says to me because I eat, you know, I eat high fat most of the time and it's like, you're going to die. Well, it's got you're going to die. It's got you're going to die. Built in, like defaults. Like, right. You're not supposed to exceed this much. Blah, blah, blah. Right. I mean, either way, it's a tracker. Just Absolutely. like the Fitbit tracks yep. your quote unquote steps. In reality, it's probably not your actual steps. No. It's close, but right. it's not exact. Yep. So, I mean... Whether you whether you pick the Whoop or the Fitbit, whether you pick RP or some private coach that tracks your like you're tracking and you're right. taking a step in the right direction. I totally agree. And the only caveat to that is um, be okay with ditching that stuff every once in a while. Set yourself up with yeah. just a little bit of a schedule of one day a week. I'm not going to wear my Fitbit or something like that, and just make sure that you are active. So. Yep. 
All right. <clears throat> Next question. This is an interesting one. Uh, it's from Thomas Ray Woods, and he, I'm assuming it's a he. I'm sorry, Thomas, if you're not. Uh, I've never met a chick named Thomas. Well, it's 2017, Drew. All right. Uh, Thomas asks, any experience with hemp oil? CBD oil in particular is being removed from WADA's banned substances list starting in January. Should this be taken advantage of? Yeah, this is a really interesting question. So um, I have used CBD oil. Um, so that answers the first part. The second part, uh, it's being removed from WADA's banned substances list. Be careful. Uh, there is THC, trace amounts of THC in almost all CBD oils that get measured when they go in through testing. So if you work for a company, if you're like a truck driver or you know one of those companies where you would get tested, if you're an athlete that would get tested, um, check with check with whatever governing body is taking control of this because you could literally test positive for THC, which is becoming less and less demonized and criminalized and all of these things in our society. So people, it's not one of those things where back in the day you would be like, oh, so-and-so wouldn't use THC. Um, it's never. never. So it's, it's one of those things where you want to just, you, you want to be sure that you're not just saying like, oh, this person would assume that I wouldn't do that. Um, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't rely on that. Um, should this be taken advantage of? So essentially how I want to answer this question is um, how you could use CBD oil and then what the science says about CBD oil. Uh, there are a lot of companies trying to capitalize on this right now. And because this is a you know sort of plant-based thing, make sure that you go organic with this. Um, you could find a company that um, you know maybe sells it for a little bit cheaper doesn't have, you know, maybe has certain ratings on Amazon or whatever, and they could, you know, have toxins and pesticides and all that stuff. And especially if you're, you know, putting it into like a vape pen or something like that, you want to make sure that it's actually uh, high quality. So go with a company that has, you know, third-party testing that's organic, all of that kind of stuff. Um, the bioavailability of anything that's ingested, not so great. So the best bet that you have is to buy a vape pen. There is some stigma associated with the vape pen. Um, get over it, I guess, is the, the, thing, the thing that I can say. Um, you can buy vape pens online. There's vape stores all over the place. Um, especially, so many vape stores. <laughs> especially where we are because marijuana has been legalized, so they're even bigger now. But um, I recommend that that anybody that wants to get into using cbd oil and again this is not thc um go the vape route uh science shows that there's higher bioavailability um when you use a vape pen over a capsule and oil um, you can actually smoke um hemp cbd like the other part of the plant that doesn't have the thc um bioavailability is not great smokes obviously a little bit more harsh on the lungs, that yep. kind of thing. So, uh, go the vape route if you want to try this out. Um, and, and another thing with the vape route is there's actually less, um, transference of trace amounts of THC. So if you are worried about that route, um, or if you are worried about the THC, it's going to, um, be in your system much less with vape than it would be if it was in something that you were ingesting orally. 
Um, so now onto the, onto the fun part. What, what does it do? Um, small doses increase alertness. Um, people would be surprised by that again because of the stigma that's associated with the hemp plant. Um, but studies show that if you, you know, stay around that smaller dose that, um, you know, you could actually use it for like performance enhancing if, if your, you know, if your world of performance is more on the mental side, a larger dose, um, is actually shown to help with sleep a lot. Um, and it's no surprise that it's also, um, calming down your amygdala, which is going to decrease social anxiety. Um, obviously those would go hand in hand. If you're laying in bed at night and you're anxious, it's going to be hard to sleep. So it sort of makes sense that those go together. Uh, there was actually one study that showed that a higher dose of CBD, 600 milligrams also decreased anxiety during public speaking. And again, this is not a person getting high before their public speaking. This is someone that's ingesting CBD oil, um, to try and calm down the amygdala so that that anxiety piece, um, the part of your brain that's going to control fear is actually calming down. Right. For um, the, for the people that don't know, CBD is cannabidiol. Yes. And it's the non psychoactive portion of the marijuana plant. Right. So it's non psychoactive, meaning you're not going to vape this and get really hungry and sit on the couch and, chuckle at a movie that's not funny things like that aren't going to happen it's the non-psychoactive portion and there's actually receptors in the brain that naturally accept these cbd molecules right it's it's one of those things that i think we're headed in the right direction um this is actually a really good segue to the to the next piece because um this stuff is actually really really important for a lot of and i'm talking about cbd anti-hc really important for a lot of people that are in pain. Um, a lot of people that, you know, struggle with seizures, a lot of people that struggle with, um, you know, brain disorders. There's, there's a lot of science backing CBD and THC. And the more that people understand that they're not, you know, when they go to vote or whatever, they're not battling with the stoners. It's us versus them. It's, you know, the typical American thing that we definitely have going on right now. The, you know, the, the hippies versus the NRA or whatever you want to call it. Like, it's not about that. If we take that step back and at least make sure that medical marijuana and, you know, hemp in the United States, which, which is still one of those things where I don't even think you can grow hemp in the United States commercially on like a large scale. So when you go to vote on that stuff, just remember that, you know, at least, you know, you don't, I'm not trying to convince people that recreational marijuana, you know, needs to be part of their life. But, um, when you go to vote on medicinal or CBD or anything like that, just take into account, you know, all it would take is someone in your family that, you know, watch them have a seizure and see them, you know, struggle through this and know that this helps with that. Um, I just think that's something important, you know, to mention. So, um, the next bullet point that I had was prevent seizures. Um, and then the last one along the same lines, significantly, significantly improves symptoms of schizophrenia. So we obviously have these things, this questions being asked. Um, obviously if, if, if he's asking about WADA, he's probably an athlete, um, the world anti-doping agency. But you know, if we remove that piece and we're talking about um, social anxiety, uh, anxiety during public speaking, seizure prevention, improved symptoms of something as serious as schizophrenia. 
Um, it's good to see that we're finally getting past the stigma in the United States and, and, you know, moving into these areas where they're allowing, you know, research on CBD, THC, um, psilocybin, all of these different things that are, are helping people. Um, and, you know, hopefully it doesn't go in the complete opposite direction and people abuse it so much that it becomes an issue again. But it's nice to see that we're moving in that direction. Yeah. That's a big part of the legislation too, is, is voting for the medicinal, you know, things opens up research. So it's not, it's not just that it makes it available to people, but it also makes it available for scientists to study because up until recently, it was really difficult for a lot of scientists to do any kind of research around these types of substances. This is one of the places where I can tip my hat to Silicon Valley. They, have enough money and are open-minded <laughs> enough to facilitate research on stuff like this, regardless of the laws. Cause yeah. we all know a lot of the laws have a lot to do with money Oh yeah, and they're like, Oh, we got plenty of that. We're good. <laughs> all right. Moving on. Next question comes from M jukes daily. Uh, they ask suggestions for getting vitamin D during the winter cloudy and rainy days. Well, the first thing I can say is we feel your pain. Um, yes. We live in Maine. But, the you know, I'm looking outside right now, and the sun is shining. Um, it's 40 degrees right now. It's 40 degrees right now. But, but even, I mean, you could look outside, other than the icicles melting, you could look outside on a day that it's 10 degrees, and it would look very similar. You could still see the snow, whatever. Um spend the money, get the boots, get the coat, get the hat, the gloves and get outside. Cause it's nice. I mean, I mean, one of the things that I heard on a podcast recently was that you can dress for the cold. You cannot dress for the warm. There's no way. There's no way to go outside when it's 90 degrees out and not be miserable during an activity, right? Mm -hmm. There is all almost, I should say almost, there's almost always a way, unless you live in, I don't know, Antarctica or something, to dress and head outside on, you know, a winter day and enjoy the fresh air, enjoy, you know, all of that stuff with being outside. So the very first answer to that question is still go outside. I think that's really important to say, um, trace back to, you know, the, the tribes episode, you know, episode two of the podcast where we talk so much about making sure that that's the prerequisite to personalizing your situation. Um, moving on from that, you know, we already touched on the blue light. Uh, we've touched on the blue light in previous episodes. We will touch on the blue light in future episodes. Uh, just make sure that your body is understanding that circadian rhythm piece. Um, we can move on from there to diet. Um, hopefully, I'm not really sure where you live, but hopefully you have access. I think there probably aren't any parts of the country now that don't have access to cold, you know, fatty, freshwater fish. Um, you know, we've been... We've been in some, being from Maine, you sort of get judgy about seafood yeah. and we've been to some places in the smack dab in the middle of the country and it says like fresh lobster and we laugh a little bit, but it's probably pretty fresh, right? Hopefully. Hopefully it's pretty fresh. Um, I do know that you go to like the seafood counter at Whole Foods away from the ocean and that stuff's looking pretty good. A lot of it's looking pretty good, even the stuff that's wild caught. So it's going to be a little bit more expensive, but 
it's going to be less expensive than your doctor bill, you know, if you're not eating yep. nutritious food. So I would start there. And the last place we would go is just to supplementation. So um, we can supplement with vitamin D. The research on this is sort of like the research on salt and fat and all these other things where the research, you know, you read an article that sends you in one direction and then you read an article that sends you in another direction. Um, the best thing that you can do here is test retest. So you can actually buy uh, vitamin D testing online now and not through any sort of, you know, insurance, medical, whatever. You can just buy a test that will show up in the mailbox. You prick your finger you put it on, I don't know, a slide or in a vial or whatever it is. They give you something, you send it back, and they give you your vitamin D levels. I've seen ones for as low as $40, and I've seen ones for as expensive as $100. So I would do a little bit of vetting. I would make sure that I did a little bit of research on who was doing the testing. But you can get this testing done for a fairly affordable amount, and it's one of those things where you could, you know, wait till you got a little ways into the winter, do your test, you know, play around with the supplementation, you know, maybe you buy three of the tests or something like that. A lot of those companies will do two or three packs or four packs or whatever. Um, you know, get somebody else to do it with you, buy something that's a little bit more affordable, but you would test, supplement and retest. Do not test, see that it's low, start cramming vitamin D in and then just assume that everything's where it needs to be because we don't want to be way over those levels either. And then the only other thing to take into consideration, um, the bioavailability is really important here. That's why I said fish before supplementation. Our bodies understand um, the EPA and the DHA and the fatty acids and the actual fat um, in the selenium and the vitamins, all of that coming together, our body sees that as food. It uses it. Um, the really synthetic forms of vitamins, a lot of the time, you know, you you see the lightning green pea. And it looks like the Mountain Dew that I used to chug as a child. Um, not so natural. Not something that your body's really doing a great job of, of taking in. So make sure that it's a company that you trust and make sure that you're either ingesting fat with it because it's a fat soluble vitamin or a lot of them have fat rate in them. I know that when I used to take like the Pure Pharma, which is now called Puri, Puri, Puri. They, they're like in Europe, you actually have to test your supplements. Um, so that's one thing about ordering good thing about ordering supplements from, from Europe there. And, and they go even further. They have like crazy testing and they had, I believe they had olive oil right in their capsules, if I remember correctly. So just make sure that if you are supplementing, that you trust the company that you're using, that you try the real food route first, that kind of thing. Um, I think that's it. I, I think that if you go through those steps and make sure that you don't start with the supplementation, but that you go the other routes and, you know, really do your due diligence before you blame the weather, um, you'll be pretty safe. All right. Next question comes from Rugger14. Will you be doing a mobility episode? Yes. How much time should I spend on mobility in comparison to my regular exercise routines? Regarding timing of mobility, should I do it before? during or after exercise or pet her times i don't know what that means i think that's probably a typo and it's supposed to be other times oh good call yeah you can see a little autocorrect there yeah so 
Um, how much time should I spend on mobility in comparison to my regular exercise routine? Um, I wish I knew you a little bit better before answering this question. So things to take into consideration, how much are you training and how much mobility work do you personally need to get into the positions that you need to get into? Um, are you hypermobile? Are you not mobile at all? A lot of these things are considerations. Um, so the one thing that I will say is everyone's going to benefit from a few different forms of mobility due to what happens on the physiological level and not even just your muscles and your tendons and all that. So spending time on mobility in something like a Ramwad or a guided yin yoga situation has a ton of benefits outside of what's happening to your muscles um, on a mental side. Doing a lot of lighter um, like foam rolling not really digging in too hard, but doing stuff like that releases a lot of serotonin is uh, a good thing for bedtime routine for a lot of people. I have one athlete who puts on an audiobook, turns his lights off in his room and rolls on the foam roller and just is like, you would not believe, I feel like I'm going to like melt through the, you know, I'm just done for. I would fall asleep. Yeah. So he does. And that's his like routine of putting himself to sleep and, you know, ensuring that he's taking care of his body and his mind and all that stuff. So, so that's actually, you know, a really awesome thing to do. Um, obviously the more you exercise, the more you, you know, sort of beat up your tissues, the more work you should do. That's, that's sort of an obvious thing there. There are a lot of people who would make the assumption that I'm a pretty mobile person and I'm staying mobile even without my mobility work. I should be fine. That's all well and good until the injuries come around. Um, a perfect example of someone to look at here would be um, an athlete that that we are friends with and work with, Tola Marikino. He is stronger than you. Whoever's listening, he's stronger than you, I promise. He is insanely mobile. He goes to yoga upwards of twice a day. He warms up for about an hour before he works out. And I already mentioned how strong he was. Um, essentially, he would be a world-class weightlifter if he decided to switch sports. Um, and he doesn't get injured very often. Surprise. So being that type of person that has that mindset, I know that I can't give you a specific prescription without knowing you that well, but having that mindset of... I'm going to treat my body the way that it should be treated. Um, I'm going to warm up properly. That's just sort of the mindset that you need to have. And you will know if you're doing it right. You will feel different when you start to work out. You will feel different when you enter the gym the next day. You'll feel different if you have to do multiple exercises within a day. Um, that's how you're going to know. That's how you're going to get feedback of that. Final part of the question was timing. Should I do it before, during, or after exercise or other times? Um, before exercise, this is this is really important. Um, specific mobility um, where we're trying to manipulate tissue, like using a mobility ball to roll out the glutes, um, you know, the the pec smash, uh, anything like that. I really like that stuff as a test retest within my warm-up. So if you are going to be, let's say that you're going to be doing a bench press, you go over to the bench, you start to warm up your bench press, 
you're feeling tight, you can go over to the wall, you can bias your arm into internal rotation by putting your hand on the middle of your back, the back of your hand on the middle of your back, so that you're inter- in internal rotation, and then you can either go up against the wall or up against the floor and roll out, you know, the, the front side of your deltoid, um, you know, your pec, any of that stuff, and then you can go back over to the bench press and try to feel the difference. I think that's that's really important for the before portion. I don't know how you would mobilize during, um, but it's funny that that question, that part of the question's in there because I think the best mobility that you can do is getting into the positions that you want to get into and staying there. So although I chuckled at the during exercise, um, that might be dangerous. I don't want someone to be like strict pressing and rolling out their arches at the same time. But uh, if you're squatting, I love the light barbell on the back or in the front rack, head down to the bottom of that position just hold. and just hold. Yep. Um, so many people spend so much time in other positions hoping that the, that the position that they want to get into improves. doesn't make that much sense. It's got to be both. That's why I love a test retest. I love the holds with, oh, I got to make sure that I do a little bit of couch stretch and then back to the holds, that kind of thing. Um, after exercise... Love some static stretching post-exercise for multiple reasons. One, because we are going to shorten those muscles. We're going to create those those scenarios where if we did absolutely nothing after, that we'd be in trouble the next day. And because I like that mindfulness piece of bringing ourselves back down, sort of that cool down um, post-exercise. Um, that being said, with all of this in mind, we will do a mobility episode and we will give you guys some specific stuff. Um, we will eventually get that YouTube channel going where we can say, hey, go check this stretch out. Hey, go check. You know, I don't want to get into voodoo floss right now, but that will be a big part of the, the mobility episode. So if you're like, what the heck are you talking about? Uh, go check out Kelly Starrett. Check out the Voodoo Floss. That's something that that's huge for before, and that would slide into that like specific mobility piece that I was talking about with a mobility ball, that kind of thing. Hopefully, that helps. <laughs> All right, we got a long one here from Eleanorian. I'm sorry if I butchered that. Any suggestions? For someone struggling with multiple health issues, rheumatoid arthritis, fibromyalgia, and also dealing with depression. On top of it, I've developed food sensitivities. It's been a tough year trying to get myself moving. Figuring out an easy eating plan and having enough energy for a stressful job as a single parent. I have days when getting out of bed is a victory. And yes, I'm talking to my doctor. I appreciate the motivation. I have walked to Starbucks with the dog rather than driving, and I'm trying to do small things when I can. I miss being more active. I was working as a personal trainer five days a week at one point and 50 pounds down when I had more time and money. I know I can do this. So I think that it's it's important at the very beginning to for me to say two things before I get into specifics. Number one, you still started to answer your question at the end of your question. And I think that's, that's a powerful piece there. Um, hopefully you've heard the first, you know, episodes two through seven of the podcast, and you're starting to incorporate some of those changes. A lot of the times we know the answers to these questions. We just need that support system and that motivation to actually kick ourselves into gear. The second piece is the fact that you're not alone here. Um, you're, you're, 
talking with the right person right now because for me personally, I'm looking through this and I can associate the personal health issues that I've had both both physically and mentally and on a digestive level. Um, I can associate with absolutely everything that you're talking about. And when I learned that I was not a beautiful and unique snowflake and that it wasn't just all about, you know, me personally and my feelings, um, and that it was literally about my health and it was something that I could change and something that I could do something about that became very empowering. So understanding that the conventional medicine model that tells us you are the way that you are, this is how it is. You have a chemical imbalance in your brain. It was inherited. It's something that you need to take a pill for. Um, Science is telling us otherwise. And again, for me personally, and I do mean personally, um, that's been very empowering for me. Knowing that I can take responsibility for my physical and mental health is extremely important. Now, what do we do about it? Um, There's a lot, I hate to keep saying, but there's a lot of information in episodes two through seven. Um, And following that path is really important. And there's a really big reason why the beginning of episode two is about a support system doing tackling something like this alone. Um, it just doesn't work with our biology. Um, we evolved in small groups and we were there for each other. And whether that was because we didn't want to die or as we progressed through, through human history and got to the point where it was more about, you know, I want to be happy. I want to be healthy, that kind of thing. When we started to, you know, make more conscious decisions, it's still in our biology. So I would say that motivation piece, um, you know, you're starting in the right place. Listening to this podcast should help. Um, That is our job. That's what we're trying to accomplish. We are trying to motivate people. Um, Yes, we want to give you action items, but we also want to motivate you. We don't want to just say, here's a little bit of info. Good luck. We want to say, here's a little bit of info. Here's why you should do it. And then we're going to say it again next week. And then we're going to say it again the week after that. And we hope that this stuff starts to click and you start to gain a little bit of momentum. Um, But it's really important, again, to understand that you can personally take responsibility for this stuff and make changes, real changes, real changes in your body chemistry, real changes absolutely everywhere. Um, This is not something where you just are the way that you are and you can't get out of this. You absolutely positively can. And understanding that you can and accepting some responsibility for that is not one of those things where I'm saying this is your fault, but you can change it. And that's just so powerful. It's so powerful to understand that we don't have to take that diagnosis and say, well, I'm depressed. This is just who I am. I'm depressed. I have insomnia. I have all these issues. From a scientific standpoint, they're all connected and we can make some very serious changes, improve our life. And then before you know it, you're not dealing with as much of it anymore. Yeah. One thing that I'd like to say, and I've gone through physical changes and part of this question says figuring out an easy eating plan. One thing that you have to do is know that sometimes it's not going to be easy and giving yourself a little bit of leeway. If you slip up, if you mess up on one day, you eat something that maybe you shouldn't have eaten, know that it's okay. And getting your body back on track with eating is really, really easy. Your body's really quick to adapt. So if you have one bad afternoon, 
it's not all lost. The next day you get to start over fresh. So give yourself a little bit of leeway, keep yourself accountable. And like Drew said, you can do it. You just have to do it. You have to take the power into your own hands. Exactly. And and we, we've explained in previous episodes why those other things happen, why the parts where it's not easy happen. So backtracking and saying, I'm going to attack tribes, sleep in mind so that I don't get those cravings is also a huge piece. So keep circling around, keep going back through it. You know, um, one of the best things that you can do is get yourself a little notebook and write down what you're doing each day to move forward in each category, prove to yourself that you're making changes and, you know, put them in order. And if, you know, the ones further down the list aren't going well, then we just circle back to the top and start over. Um, so, so essentially, you know, the goal of me answering this question is just to make sure that people out there understand that, um, I mean, you're not stuck there. You're 100% not stuck there. You know, you're talking to two people right now specifically that have dealt with this stuff that have pushed themselves out of it more than once. So you just have to understand that it's something that you can change. And once you understand that, I think that's half of the victory right there. Definitely. All right. Moving on. Matt CS019 asks, Hey guys, can you talk about how to use naps to supplement sleeping? I've read taking power naps 20 to 30 minutes in length where you stay in a light stage of sleep can be very beneficial. Can you elaborate on this and give your recommendations on how best to use them? So that is absolutely correct. Um, that first stage of sleep is going to be that light sleep. Um, we have to be very careful not to pass that. That's why I would say that power nap range should be, um, they actually make an app for power naps that this, the company that does sleep cycle has one and it's called power nap. It's called, yeah, it is called it. power nap and you just set it right on your body mm-hmm. and it can tell like, uh Oh, there's a little bit of that fidgeting going on. It's time to, it's time to kick you out. Um, I don't agree with the settings on it, but you can manipulate that yourself. So you can make sure that you're staying within that range. It can tell when you stop moving. Um, if you're one of those people, I mean, we all know a couple of those people that can like sit there, cross their arms and just pass out in like a chair. Uh, I'm personally not one of those people, but if you're one of those people and you can just set a 25 minute timer, go for it. If you're not one of those people, check out the app. Um, there is a lot of cognitive benefit from this. And what I always relate it to is meditation. So think about how stressful a modern style day could be to your mind. We're always on because when we're in leisure, a lot of the times we're staring at a phone that has more inputs for our mind than the regular world did in the first place. This 20 to 30 minutes is giving your brain a little bit of rest. You might not even need to sleep to get the benefits of laying there and doing absolutely nothing. Um, you know, so the power nap, the meditation, the breathing exercises, I'm a big fan of all of those. Um, one thing to, to take into consideration here is people probably want to know a little bit more about like a true nap. Um, I am not a fan of, you cannot catch up on sleep. Something that has already happened has already happened. Um, we need to get back into our circadian rhythm, back into that, go to bed at the same time, wake up at the same time, 
spike the cortisol in the morning, you know, have the melatonin at that night, that, that whole thing that we've talked about a lot. And for anybody that hasn't listened to that, that's episode three. So it's, it's one of those things where I want, if someone tells me, Hey, I've got this issue. Um, I've got this issue with my sleep on like Wednesdays. I know for a fact, based on my schedule, that I'm only going to get six hours of sleep, whatever it is. I want them the day before to catch an extra sleep cycle during the day. So I want someone to prepare for this. And if you care enough to be listening to this podcast and you care enough to ask questions, a lot of it's about athletic performance. You should care enough to know when you're going to go to bed, when you're going to wake up. should be able to schedule that fairly easy, at least for a few days. So that would be that full 90 minutes. Um, but we, again, we have to be careful. You don't want to kick back into, you know, we go the 90 minutes, we're in the safe zone for that 20 to 30 after a little bit, but then we get back into the, that zone where you wake up and you have no clue where you are. You feel like you've been traveling a time machine. It's the worst feeling. It's in the world. such a weird, weird feeling. Like, so you have to be careful with that. So I would say the power naps Air on the side of do not make it to that 30 minutes um, with the actual catching an extra sleep cycle because you know you're not going to sleep as well or you're not going to sleep as much, I should say. Um, just make sure that you don't kick it into that like full, you know, once we get into that hour and 20 minute range, that's when we're going to probably have some issues. So I don't know if the science is there, but that power nap app for me is outstanding. Yeah. Outstanding. The, the ability to set the the short timer fall asleep for you know 15 20 minutes and wake up super refreshed is is huge i had two full-time jobs from like 2009 to like 2014 maybe and i would do one when when i would go home to change i would and i don't advise this first part shot of espresso power nap and then i mean i'd be rocking yeah when i when i woke up so it's, it's something that did work well for me, obviously now with the information that I have and knowing after doing 23 and me that I metabolize caffeine in a way that that's not good for, um, I would not want to, to do the espresso portion, but, but the power nap. Yes. Do it. All right. Next question comes from saturated Matt does eating a large meal within two hours of sleep affect quality. The answer is yes, um, but it depends on the actual window specifically. So when I looked into this, the research, it puts, you know, it's, it's, it's in a range, but it puts it around 90 minutes. So you're done eating, then you have 90 minutes, then you try to go to bed. That's the latest scenario um, that the research is going to show. And one of the biggest pieces here is hypoglycemia. So I'm asking so many people to take advantage of the fact that we're more insulin sensitive at night. That means carbs and that can mean hypoglycemia and we can actually get asleep and get kicked out of sleep. So that's going to be one of those things where once our body catches up, it's going to be like, Hey, what's up? What are we doing? What's going on with this blood sugar up and down? Like, what are we dealing with? So a lot of people, um, will say after that big carb meal that they actually have that crash and it can help them sleep, but then it's going to screw up sleep quality. Right, because it's going to kick you out. It's going to yeah. kick you out. And that's something that um, 
man, that's almost worse. Getting kicked out of sleep is almost worse than not being able to fall asleep. It's, it's one of those, it's one of those phenomenons where it's like, what's causing this? There's, there's gotta be some sort of physiological effect that's kicking you back out. It's essentially not allowing you to get into deeper stages of sleep and it's allowing something like a car driving by or a dog making a noise or something like that to kick you out. So that's typically what's going to happen there. Um, with that being said, I'm all about that two hours of down regulation and there's no, there shouldn't be any eating within that window. So I would kick it back to the two hours that to me with the research and with the mindfulness aspect, that evening routine that we're going for, um, I think that puts us at a really safe spot. One of the things, um, that's important here is if we're worried about that hypoglycemia piece, um, one thing that's, that's helped a lot of people with sleep is like a spoonful of almond butter before they go to bed because so many people become so dehydrated throughout a day that they don't really have that salt in their body. So that can be a portion of it. And we can also control our blood sugar a little bit better with fat. So if we have a little bit of fat before we go to bed, we can sort of even that out a little bit, get our bodies back into fat burning mode, and then we can ride that wave of our body using fat as energy a little bit longer. Cool. All right. Next question from Nicole Crandall. It's a family affair here. Hey, oh, what should nutrition look like around the workout window? You've said a few times to save carbs for dinner. If I work out in the morning, is that still what you recommend? Also, did you say protein and fat before a workout? Thanks. All right. So um, what's awesome about science is I can now confuse everybody, um, flip this upside down completely, um, but it is actually backed up by science. So very first thing, what should nutrition look like around the workout window? Um, Highly controversial. I'm not really sure why, but it is. Um, I like people to save that post-workout shake for about one hour after. And if you do that glycolytic work that I'm talking about on the assault bike, on the row, or 400 meter run, repeat, sprints, whatever it is, you will know exactly why. You will feel it. You will feel why you should not drink the shake if you understand rest and digest versus fight or flight. Um, if you go all out in a workout, you can set your watch and 45 minutes to an hour to an hour and 15 minutes is when you're going to be like, whew, okay, I'm alive again. I'm okay. That's that range where we are going to want to finally give our body some nutrients. And what people don't understand is that, um, this is actually the exact same reason why you want to save the sauna for post-workout. We are stressing out our bodies on purpose. That's what exercise is. If we try to cut that window down, that's less growth via exercise. So if I try to say, I want to completely stop dead the second after I work out and introduce a bunch of, of stuff into my bloodstream through food, um, we're doing a bunch of things wrong. Uh, we're not riding that wave of stress. We're not coming back down in the way that our body likes to. There's also testosterone and human growth hormones circulating post-workout. Our body is not going to be able to handle. So you're either not getting the benefits of the shake or if you know your body works really well, it's actually going to kick that stuff out of your bloodstream. We don't want that either. So that's why we want to wait. And I wouldn't be 
so meticulous about, oh no, it was an hour and 15 minutes. It was an hour and a half. The research just isn't there for this perfect magical time. We've essentially just worked out and our body wants, you know, some protein, some amino acids. Um, it wants, you know, if we, we have the carbs and we have the creatine, um, I'm talking five grams of creatine, 20 to 30 grams of carbs that is going to, um, help that insulin spike, put stuff into our muscle cells. So we want all of that to happen. Um, but the timing once we are finally back in rest and digest is not that important. Um, I like a meal another hour after that. Now I know based on a lot of people, they go to work then they go to the gym, then they go home and I'm telling them they got to, they got to have that two hour window of not eating. They're like, listen, I don't know what sort of magical 35 hour day that you have, but I don't have that. Um, and all I say in that regard is do your best. So make sure that you personally are, you know, back down somewhere in a, in a mental and physical state where you feel like you can digest. Um, and skipping a post-workout shake every once in a while is not a big deal. It's real foods more important. Getting a meal in is more important um, for the micronutrient benefit than it is to have that protein shake. Obviously, um, someone who talks about food quality is the most important thing is not going to tell you that the most important part of your diet is a powder that comes in a you know bright bag with advertising all over it that tastes like cake. Exactly. So don't worry too much about that stuff. Do the best that you can. Intuitively, you are going to understand whether you feel like you can digest food and whether you feel like the food is messing with your sleep. Really try to ask yourself these questions once you feel like you have the proper information. Um, The second part of the question, you have said a few times to save carbs for dinner. If I work out in the morning, is that still recommended? No, it is not. And I because of the new research on fasting, like flipping this completely upside down for the morning workout people. So essentially what the research says, and this actually makes sense to me, um, that fasting should line up with our circadian rhythm. So essentially don't eat when it's dark. Our bodies, um, actually react a little bit better to our fasting window being later in the day than in the morning. I am not personally ready to switch my personal routine to that because the fasting has a ton of benefits regardless of when you do it. And it works really well for me to not have to worry about that stuff while I'm working. So don't take this as it's either or it's, it could be both. Um, so what we would do is we would actually start that fasting window in the evening and ride it back to the morning. So when you woke up, that would be close to when you're ending your fasting window, which is obviously different than how most people do it. But the science says that's actually a little bit more beneficial. So essentially what I'm trying to say here is you're not screwed if you're working out in the morning because you're getting, you're getting a benefit that I'm not getting on this side and I'm getting a benefit that you're not getting on the other side. So it's all good. Um, so what do I mean by flip it upside down? I mean, still stick to that shake one hour and then that, um, that, you know, that refeed, that amount of carbohydrates, whether it's as small as 50 to 75 grams or as much as like 200 grams, that would be in that meal, depending on what your activity level is, what it is that you're doing. Um, and then we do what I would normally do for a, you know, breakfast. I do an air quotes because I drink bulletproof coffee. It's not really, um, a meal. 
it's got plenty of, it's got a lot of calories, um, but it's not necessarily a meal. And then that fat and protein meal, um, to end the day. And, and it's a little bit more important for that meal to be, um, you know, very nutrient dense. So that would be a true, like high fat, moderate protein with the vegetables and the, you know, the, all the colorful stuff to, to make sure that all of that's getting in there because you're going to be continuing on with your day. Um, you know, you're not going to sleep at that point. You're going to be continuing on with your day. You're going to want that for mental acuity and all that. Um, pre-workout in the morning, I do not recommend, um, going like 100% completely fasted, um, into high intensity exercise. Uh, fasted cardio is fantastic, really good, um, for your body in a bunch of different ways. But if you are again, going into that glycolytic area, um, and you're just, you know, the morning is tough. You got those cobwebs, you know, I always marvel at the people at the gym that do the 6am class and beat me in the workout. Um, it's like, man, that, that takes something because oh, yeah. almost all world records are set in this weird time frame. It's like two to 5 PM or something like that. When our bodies are riding that testosterone cortisol wave, it seems to be kind of the, the right spot there. Um, what I recommend pre-workout in the morning would be, uh, caffeine is, is great to, to help. Um, MCT is great because, what MCT does is it actually bypasses the process where it could be put into adipose tissue and goes straight into circulation for physical or mental energy. So it's one of those things where as a pre-workout and be very careful with your dosage. Um, it's, you know, a lot of people call it disaster pants. If you go straight to the like one to two tablespoons of MCT of the oil and you haven't tried it, if, if the oil does bother you, the powder is actually a lot easier on your stomach. The problem with the powder is this gigantic scoop is seven grams of fat versus a half of a tablespoon is seven grams of fat with the oil. Um, so it's both more expensive and one of those scoops would turn your coffee literally white and not taste anything like coffee if you used that. But if it was in some sort of pre-workout kind of concoction that you cooked up, wouldn't be that big of a deal. You can also do coconut oil. Yeah, right? you can do coconut oil. Um, also have to be safe with that. Um, rocket fuel, rocket fuel. Yes. So MCT, a little bit of caffeine. And then if you are struggling from a muscular standpoint, um, making sure that you're taking in some amino acids, uh, the research shows that essential amino acids, there's no way I'm going to be able to list out the eight essential amino acids <laughs> right now. But if you go on to, uh, Amazon and type in essential amino acids, EAAs is what a lot of the supplement companies call it. If we go caffeine, MCT, EAAs, you should be pretty safe pre-workout in the morning. And then you can kind of get into your nutrition after that. And I wouldn't worry, especially if it's a low amount of MCT of that being inside of or at the end of your fasting window. You're not really doing a whole lot to kick yourself out of that, especially if you're jumping into workout. So um, I think that answers all three. All right. So we started the questions and we are now finishing the questions with a question from tried and true coach. What are the actual benefits of the pink salt in your water? I just started doing it because you said to, I would be interested to hear what's actually going on. All right. So I think it's very important, um, from that intuitive standpoint to understand why you're doing something. So I would say the very first thing that you should do here 
is create a little bit of a stronger filter, even though I'm talking about myself personally. Uh, I'm the one giving the information. I will never steer you guys wrong in terms of what I think is right, um, but you should just kind of understand what I'm talking about before you try something because something could be taken out of context or it might not apply to you personally. Um, but we're talking about pink salt, not the, not like a dangerous, right? Not, not like a dangerous thing here. Um, before I talk about the benefits, um, when your great aunt, grandfather, whoever yells at you for putting pink salt on your food, cause you're gonna, um, get high blood pressure and die. Uh, that is a gene mutation that, uh, shows itself in about 2% of the population. So it's really, really easy to know if you're dealing with hypertension, if you're dealing with blood pressure issues, um, and it's linked to salt, um, you're probably going to know it. It's probably going to be one of those things where you go to the doctor and they're like, uh, uh, what's going on here? So if you are, um, you know, the one in 50 that's dealing with that then make sure that you do your due diligence to actually find out what's going on with yourself personally. That being said, I am perfectly fine with throwing out recommendations if it hits 98% of the population. So from a morning routine standpoint, we wake up and our adrenals um, are helping us create cortisol so that we can once again follow that thing where the graph of the cortisol starts high, goes low. The graph of the melatonin starts low, goes high. They work together in unison. Um, one's present, one's not present. That's how our body is supposed to work. Um, we can use, um, you know, the pinch of pink salt. Um, some people recommend a half a teaspoon. Some people recommend a teaspoon. When you get into the teaspoon area, it's disgusting, in my opinion. Um, you're probably looking at like a 32-ounce glass of water, you know, for to dilute it so that it actually just tastes kind of like a little salty. Yeah. Essentially, you're doing it wrong if, you're drink- if you feel like you're drinking ocean water. Like, because a lot of people, when I give them this recommendation, are like, you kidding me? That's disgusting. And I'm like, you can't really taste it. Like you put like for me, I put a little bit in 16 ounces twice in the morning and I can't really taste it. And I can tell when I've put a little bit too much in, it's like, that's not good. So if it's gross, you're probably putting a little bit too much in, but essentially what that's doing from that standpoint, we're actually getting benefits twofold here is that is going to help our adrenals because one of the big reasons with the adrenals is if we did not have that part of our body and we went to stand up in the morning, um, our blood pressure would be all out of whack and we'd essentially pass out. If you went from laying down for that long to rocketing out of bed, getting up out of bed and trying to walk around, um, our body would be extremely confused and you'd probably pass out. That's why, you know, um, if, if this stuff is out of whack a little bit and you stand up really fast from sitting down after a while, you can get lightheaded. And that's that adrenal piece is just a balance of sodium and potassium, um, I don't think it's completely necessary to get into all that, but essentially we talk about sodium, potassium. There's a ton of trace minerals in the pink salt. We're just helping our adrenals get the day started. It'd be the easiest way to explain that. Um, the other piece is water and electrolytes 
can be fuel for a ton of metabolic processes and we go through if we have a good night's sleep we go through a lot of that that's why we become so dehydrated in the middle of the night that's why we become dehydrated in the morning so we're trying to rehydrate and there are like a ton of trace minerals super scientific a ton um, a ton of trace minerals in himalayan pink salt and essentially we're just making sure that we're not diluting all the electrolytes in our body um just circling back to the to the fuel episode more is not always better with water Um, we can actually flush our body of electrolytes if our pee is clear then that means we are flushing those out Um, so we want to make sure that we're either putting this pink salt on our food um, or we're putting it in our water if we feel like we need to be ingesting a lot of water and you know a lot of the electrolyte powders and tabs and all that stuff have artificial colors in them have you know artificial sweetener, all these other things. So if I can take something that's cheap like salt and just put it in my water, I'm good to go. Um, and yes, I am recommending pink salt for cooking in your water, all that different stuff. It's, it's going to help a lot. It's much, much different from a mineral standpoint than the garbage that they put in the, that blue container with the dude with the iodized table. salt. yeah, the dude with the umbrella, (laughs) it's getting rained on. Um, so a lot of health benefits from the pink salt, um, but the adrenals are what we're looking for in the morning and throughout the rest of the day. It's just about hydration. All right. That's it for questions. I think we did it. So um, in closing here, we can we can do these episodes as often as you guys want us to. So as we start to put out other information, as we start to go into a more traditional route for the podcast where we talk about just a specific topic or we go interviews. If we get to a point where you guys are like, whoa, 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 pump the brakes, pump the brakes. What are we talking about? And you want to ask specific questions, you know where to find us on social media. We are on Facebook, Misfit Project. We are on Instagram at the misfit.project, misfitproject.com. We're at all these different places. That's where you can find us. Um, this is the part of the podcast where we ask if you love the podcast to throw us a five-star review on iTunes, because that's how they're going to seed us. Super helpful. That's how we are going to give this information to more people. So if you like the podcast, it'd be awesome to get a review from as many people as possible. And I said it last week. I might've said it the week before, please keep tagging us and stuff. Please keep using the hashtags. Um, the hashtags are now out there. If you go back through, you know, the different, the, you know, hashtag TMP rest tribes, all these different things. You can just use hashtag the misfit project. Um, keep tagging us, keep putting us in your Instagram story. keeps letting us know, you know, what you're doing. Feel free to, you know, jump into the direct messages and ask questions, whatever it is, please keep in touch. Please let us know that you're still listening to the podcast and we will see you next week. See you next time, guys.